morning. Glad you're here. Celebrate Easter with us. We're launching a message series called Text. Text messaging is a common part of our everyday lives these days. You see people all ages texting, and um, it's a convenient way to communicate, to stay in touch, which sometimes is a blessing, sometimes not. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but a text message tends to grab your attention. You know, you're at, you're at lunch with a friend having a conversation. You hear the ding or the doorbell sound or whatever sound you have attached to your text, and oh no, I got to find out what this is all about. And uh, it, it can be distracting. Um, here's the amazing thing: God has sent us a text message. He has messaged us, and it's called the Bible. And so over the next several weeks, we are going to look at the, the Bible itself. And our goal in this series is, if, if you've never really been able to understand it or get your hands around what this book is the, called the Bible, we really want to help you do that. Next week, we're going to look at how you can trust that God is the author of the Bible. Why, why can you believe it? The Bible claims to be authored by God. It claims that, that God wrote it. Um, it actually says that he inspired it. And that word that it uses for inspiration is not inspired like a poet. But it says that he breathed these words out and had different men write them down. Why, why would you be willing to trust that? We're going to look at that next week. Uh, the next week, we're going to look at the fact that it's a comprehensive guidebook for living. It's sort of like an owner's manual for life. And we're going to look at some of the, the reasons uh, we can trust it and how we can allow it to become that for us. Then we're going to look at how it's put together. If you, I don't know if you've ever tried to read from the front to the back, but there's, some inter- there's an interesting flow to the way the Bible is put together. It's actually a compilation of 66 books. God had different men write the books. And um, he's communicating a message in them. We're going to look at the Bible as a whole, how it's put together, and how we can get the most out of it. And then finally, we're going to look at uh, a, an everyday thing that you can do to get into the Scripture and hear God speak to you. Because that's, that's what the Bible is. It's a message. God is communicating to us in the Scripture. And so we're going to look at how to do that. I want to um, encourage you and invite you to come back for the whole series. We, we would love to have you dig in. Because I think it's going to be a helpful, very practical time to understand the Scriptures. Today, we're going to look at the central message of the Bible, the main message the main message is centered on the life of Jesus Christ. Here, here's the message in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4. This is one of the oldest passages in the Bible. It's one of the oldest things. It's a creed, actually, that the apostles put together so that the early church would memorize and not forget these facts, the things that it talks about. It says, for what I received, this is technical language that Paul's using here, meaning that this is tradition, holy tradition that I'm passing down to you. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, 
In other words, the Scripture said this was going to happen. Prophecy in the Old Testament said that this is what the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would do. Uh, He died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. They also said that, that the Messiah would be raised. This is the core message of Christianity. Jesus Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and then he was raised from the dead on the third day. I'd like to just give you a Reader's Digest condensed version of the scripture. And so, if you want to, if you're taking notes, or maybe you'll make a mental note of this, you, you can, you can get your hands around it by, by the, the acrostic L-O-R-D. So I'm going to give you just a 45 second to 60 second Reader's Digest condensed version of the Bible based on love, own way, results, and destiny. Those are the key words. Here it is. The Bible says that God loves you and I and all people, and he wants us to have the best kind of life possible. That's the love. But instead of going God's way, every one of us began to sin. We went our own way, away from God, trying to live life independent of him. The result of that decision of ours to go our own way, to live life independent from God, not to live within the boundaries that he set up, the result of that is it cut us off from knowing God personally. So now, instead of experiencing the eternal life and freedom that we would experience if we were connected to God, we actually are dead spiritually and in bondage to the enemy. To remedy that situation, God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. That's why it says Christ died for our sins. So now, everybody who chooses to turn around from going their own way to follow Christ has chosen to experience the eternal life and freedom that God has to offer. We choose our own destiny for eternity. That, that is a summary of the Christian message. And that's what it's getting at in this old, old creed that comes from probably around, it is between 32 to 38 A.D. is, is when this, this passage that we're reading, very, very old passage, um, That's the message. Now, why did Christ have to die for our sins? Why couldn't God just let us slide? I mean, have you ever thought that? Why why did he have to die? I think think Mark talked about this a little bit last, last week. But as I said in that summary, the Bible says our sins have cut us off from knowing God personally. The reason that is is because God is holy, he is just, and then thankfully we're going to find out that he is love. It's, it's who he is. And God's not, not like a human being. He's not willy-nilly. He's, he doesn't change. But he is perfectly holy, perfectly just, and perfectly love. To be holy, it's misunderstood. Sometimes we think to be holy means that you are overly religious or self-righteous and you look down on other people. But to be holy means... The fact that God is holy means this. He is so pure that he cannot be around or look at sin. He is so pure that he refuses to look on sin, to allow it into his presence. 
to to be just means that that's a that's a legal term. Some a, a judge who is just executes the sentence for the crime. That's what it means to be just. God is holy and just. He's perfectly holy and he's perfectly just. So he made us. You find out in the Bible that he made us so that we could have a give and receive relationship with him. So that he could give love to us so that we would receive it and that we would freely return that love to him. Give it back to him freely. That's why he made us. And so when we rebelled and that cut us off from knowing God personally, that that disappointed God tremendously. It, it angered him because it angered him in the sense that it's only right for something that's been made to do what the maker made it to do. But we didn't. We went our own way. And so God then had a choice. He could either wad us up like a piece of paper, throw us away, start all over again, or come up with a way that unholy people could find themselves again in the presence of a very perfectly holy God. And so that's what he did. Christ died for our sins to satisfy the requirements of the law in Jesus Christ. So that now, if we, and and I could go on for a while explaining why it had to be God who died, why Jesus had to die. We, we could go on for a while, but here, here's the core message of Christianity. Christ died for our sins, and he was raised from the dead on the third day. Brit- British theologian Michael Green says, For God just to forgive without any cost to anyone would be sheer indifferentism. It would obliterate any distinction between right and wrong. And that's what happens if we're not just in the way that we relate to people. It's just right and wrong is meaningless. And, and that's why God couldn't just let it go. There had to be a price paid. Something had to be done. But thanks, thanks be to God that he is also pure love. He, he didn't want to condemn us. He could have condemned us, but he didn't want to condemn us. So Christ died in our place. That is the core belief of Christianity. And as I said before, this passage is very early creed. And because of this passage, we know that the Christian belief in the resurrection goes way back. Um, Sometimes you ever have something happen in your life and then a little time goes by and you're thinking, did that did that really happen? I you start losing the details and you start the facts get fuzzier. That happened to me when I was uh, just my mom passed away less than a month ago. And uh, I was the guy I'm, I'm the guy making the decisions after she got to the point where she couldn't decide medically what to do. I'm, I'm the one making the decisions. And one doctor suggested something that I didn't think she that she said she didn't want. But even then. Okay, I remember her saying it. We had a piece of paper that said she didn't want it. But my mind is, it, did she really mean that? Did, is that what she said? And so that's why this, this creed is so important. Because the apostles, the leaders of the church, the early leaders, knew that 
people were going to start saying, oh, you know, Jesus wasn't really resurrected. The people who were following him, they just wanted him to be resurrected so badly that that they came up with this legendary idea that Jesus was resurrected so he would become the savior of the world, so they could convince people that he was the savior of the world. Well, uh, these facts, there's something that the earliest church didn't want people to forget, and they are so close to the event itself that historically it has a lot of credibility. If you and I, you know, if we were historians ancient historians, no ancient historian has a problem with this, this, the reliability of this creed and the fact that the early Christians believed in the resurrection. And we're going to look at why they did. Here's some evidence for the resurrection. God left us so much evidence. If you're considering Christ, if you're just checking it out, what it means to follow Christ, there is a ton of evidence that you can investigate uh, about the resurrection, about the life of Christ, the scripture itself, why you can trust it. The Case for Easter, which is a book that we're giving to guests today, pick it up. If you're checking Christ out, that, that book covers uh, uh, some of the evidence, just some of it. There, there is a ton. But here's the evidence that the creed gives. <clears throat> says that he raised from the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, and that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. Those are just the men, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, his half-brother, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, this is Paul writing this, as to one abnormally born. Creed refers to the fact that there are eyewitnesses to these appearances after Jesus was crucified, he was dead, he was buried. And Peter and the twelve are mentioned. Now, these are men who had no vested interest in making up a story about Jesus being raised from the dead. No vested interest whatsoever. Because, because of their belief in Christ, they lived very, very poor existence for the rest of their life. They were hunted down by the Jewish leaders and by the, the authorities. And many of them were martyred for this belief. Why, why would they make that up? So this is a very important statement in this creed. You, get, you see what they're getting at. And then he says, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. Now, some people said they were hallucinating. 500 people don't have the same hallucination. At the same time, it just doesn't happen. It would be like everybody in this room all of a sudden hallucinating, seeing the same image. Um, that, that's not how hallucinations work. Um, then it says they're still alive. Those 500 people, they're still alive. Go talk to them. You can investigate this. One of the, one of the other evidences for, for uh, an ancient document to be true is, or testimony to be true is, are there hostile eyewitnesses who would be able to refute the testimony that's given? And believe me, there were. There were hostile eyewitnesses who saw the whole thing happen. And they would have, they would have squelched this movement of Christianity as quickly as they could. But, but they didn't. Then it mentions James, Jesus' half-brother who didn't believe in him 
while he was alive. Would you believe if your brother and sister said, hey, by the way, I'm the Savior of the world? (laughs) Hard to believe. Really hard to believe. But after James saw the crucifixion, Jesus appeared to him, he, he believed. And he became one of the key leaders in the early church. He wrote a book in the New Testament, was martyred for his faith later on. He believed to death, to the death that his brother, the guy he grew up with in Nazareth, was, was the son of God. Um, and then it mentions Paul, the number one enemy of the church who had been tracking down and murdering Christians. He was on his way to Damascus to do that very thing, to, to identify and isolate and take out as many Christians as he could because he was so vehemently opposed to the Christian faith. And he meets the risen Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and completely turns his life around. And it's interesting, he was a, an educated man, sort of a Harvard-like education, very, very sharp person. So I think Jesus uh, appeared to him and he chose to turn his life around And God did that particularly so he could use the gifts and the abilities and and the the mind that he had given Paul to lay out the core of the Christian faith because he ended up writing about two-thirds of the New Testament. But anyway, he appeared to him. And, And what God has done is he has arranged an amazing amount of eyewitness testimony for the resurrection. In fact, if, if you were to call each of these witnesses to the witness stand in a court of law, gave them 15 minutes to recount their testimony uh, about the resurrection, you, you, if you didn't take a break to eat or sleep, you'd start at breakfast on Monday morning and it would go till Friday at dinner. 129 hours of testimony it would be to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God didn't want to leave any doubt for those who are willing to investigate the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you'll honestly investigate, there are things to look at. You can look back. You can verify it intellectually. And then as you check the Lord Jesus Christ out, you can also verify it pragmatically as you get into the Scripture. He changes your heart and your life, and he makes an, an amazing difference in the way that you live, the way that you relate to the people around you, the way that you go about the, trying to accomplish the goals and the purpose for living that you have that he's given you. Life really, he really does give you the best possible life. And you can check this out, and there, there are ways to do that. So that is the core message. That's the main message. Also, you find out the heart of Jesus' life and message is God's love. We've talked about his holiness and justice. But the heart of his message is love. God is love. John 3.16, you know, you've seen the sign, the guy at the events, you know, the athletic events or whatever's going on. Boom, you know, the big sign, John 3.16. Here it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, when we rebelled against God, and that cut us off from Him, knowing him personally, from a relationship with him, 
He could have condemned us. He had the right legally to do that, but he didn't want to because he loves us. He, he didn't, and we understand that. We're made in God's image. We understand that. When you have a child and, and they disobey, you, you want them to learn to obey, but you don't want to condemn them. They're still your child. You, you want a relationship with them. That's how God, we understand this. God did not want to, it's the same thing. We reflect his image when we have that sense of, oh, I just, I just, I really want to have a relationship with my kids, you know, other people close to me. They may hurt me. They disappoint me. They, they yell at me. They do whatever, but we want a relationship. It's unexplainable at times. Why would you, you know, want that, but we do, and 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 that's how God feels toward us. God is love. He is love. The Scripture says, perfectly, He loves us, but He's also just. So He will not ignore the sin and wrong in our life because of His justice. So He Himself pays for our sin in the person of Jesus Christ. He sent and gave. His one and only Son, who died for us. The first line of that creed, that very important creed. He died for us so that we could have eternal life. And that means that we have a relationship with God that goes on and on and on and on. What he did, what God did is he sent an audiovisual text message. I learned in the first service that you can do that. Never done it. But you can send video over text. And that's what God did. He sent a, a person, Jesus Christ, his own self, a, a part of the, the, God, the Godhead. God is three persons in one being. We don't understand that. He lives on different dimensions than us. But he is. And he himself put on flesh, put on a body, and, and was born into this world so that he could pay the price for our sins. That's what he did. It's an audio-visual text message. And if you want to know about love, God's love, don't consult the dictionary, but look at the life of Christ. And here's what you find about his love. First of all, God's love is a love that sacrifices. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. God showed us that love means giving yourself, sacrificing your life, giving of yourself to someone else. You know, sometimes parents give gifts. They give gifts to their kids as a substitute for giving themselves. And the kid and the parents and everybody involved knows it's not the best gift. You know, that's, that's okay. But the best gift is to give yourself. In fact, Ralph Waldo Emerson said a gift is an excuse for not giving yourself. What, what people really want is they want you to give yourself to them in these relationships, these very core relationships of our life. And that is love, sacrificing, giving time, taking the trouble to serve and to love, which is another aspect of God's love. It's a love that serves. 
Jesus came to serve and to show God's love. This is how Jesus responded to his disciples when they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest in his kingdom. And we're going to look at that passage in a second. But what was happening is, and this, this is really a good indicator that their motives for following Christ changed dramatically after the resurrection from what they were before because there's a little argument that broke out between the disciples as to who was going to be. Jesus is a king. And so they were arguing, hey, he's the king who's going to sit at his right hand and his left hand in the, in the kingdom. Who's going to get the status and the privilege? And who's, who's going to be the man next to Jesus? And they were arguing about it. And Jesus says this, in, in my kingdom, service is the way to leadership and status. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for me. This is the, this is the very core of why Jesus came to the earth, to give his life away. And... You find out in the character of Christ, he, he wants us to be drawn to him out of his kindness. And, and you look at the life of Christ, and he showed kindness over and over again. God himself humbling himself to serve. And to, to prove his point, in John 13, Jesus put on a towel, grabbed a wash basin, and washed the feet of his disciples. He served in humility. That is love. I like what Phil Yancey says. He says, Jesus never forced anyone to believe in him. He preferred to act by appeal, drawing people out of themselves and toward him. That's what he does. God's not going to force you to love him because he wants a real relationship of love to flow back and forth between you and he. But out of his kindness, he shows up on the earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And he dies a horrible death so that you and I could, could have our sins paid for. And then as we accept him, as we're drawn to him out of kindness, he, he makes life good. It's a love that sacrifices. It's a love that serves. It's a love that pursues. Um, Luke 15, there's three stories that Jesus told, and he was making a point. In each of the stories, something's lost. The main character in the story searches for it to find it, and then it's found, and there's a party. Um, there's a coin that's lost by a woman. She turns her house upside down to find the coin. A sheep is lost by a shepherd. The shepherd leaves the 99 and goes and finds the one that, that ran away, that ran off. And then there's a son who rebels and leaves his home, and the father is longing and looking for the son to return every day. And the son finally gets fed up with living on his own and with he was wasting his life and turns around and comes back home and the father meets him halfway. As he sees him in the distance, he, it's a great picture because Middle Eastern men, they don't, they don't like to show their legs. But the father gathers his robe, pulls it up, and, and sprints to the son. Because he, he, he loved him. That, that <clears throat> Jesus was giving us a picture of God's love for us in those stories. It's a love that pursues. 
Jesus said himself in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. We were lost to him when we decided to go our own way in sin. And he's waiting for us. He's pursuing us. He's using the events in your lives, the, the good things and the bad things. Mainly the struggles is what cause, they cause us to turn to him and look to him. And he, he's pursuing us through these things to help us come back, admit our sin and wrong, and to turn around to follow him as Lord. It's a love that saves, finally. First John 4.10 says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God loved us to the point of dying on the cross for our sins. The resurrection proves that Jesus is who he said he was and that he has the power to save and give us this eternal life that he's promised. Physical death is inevitable. One guy said, except for Jesus, every person, there's a one-to-one ratio between the people who are born and the people who die. Physical death is inevitable. It's going to happen. And actually, it serves a purpose. Because for those of us who've committed our lives to Christ, we still struggle with sin. Until the day we die, we will. Physical death serves the purpose of separating us from the contamination of sin. So it separates us, and then the resurrection shows us that God has the power to give us the life that he's promised. We can be raised again in Jesus Christ. God proved that to us in the resurrection. And someone said, without the resurrection, the Christian faith is just a placebo. But with it, there is a tremendous amount of power for living the life that we live and for experiencing the eternal life that God has to promise right now right here and now. Um, There are some next steps that you may want to take after listening to the message this morning. One of them may be to memorize 1 John 4.10. It's a great summary of of God's love and sacrifice for our sins. Uh, A next step would be possibly to show love to others the way that Christ loves me. Maybe as I was talking, people came, someone came to mind that you need to show love to. Another step would be to attend the text message series that we're starting Today, here at CIV, come back for all, all four more weeks that we're having uh, and, and learn about Scripture, learn how to get a handle on it. There'll be some really practical helps there. And then maybe your next step is to investigate the claims of Christ for yourself. Maybe you haven't come to the point where you've fully bought in and believed and you want to do some investigation. There is another step that you can take on the back of your connection card. It says, my next steps today are, and that's related to the message. Then there's one that says, my next step with CIV. Uh, if you're interested, we'd like to get with you and have an investigative Bible study. And you could, you could spend four weeks looking at the core message of Christianity and asking all the questions you'd like. So if you'd like to get involved in that, check that box and let us know. And you'd meet with one or two people from CIV who would, Walk through that study with you. Those are some steps we can take. Let's ask God to give us the power to, to take them. Father, we thank you for the truth we find in your word, for the power that comes from your resurrection. This is not, it's not a dead, those are not dead words. It's not a dead religion. 
but it's a lie because of the relationship that we can have with you, because of the love that you have for us, a perfect love that would not condemn us. You would not let us go. Father, thank you for what you've done. And I pray, God, that you would give us the power as as you've laid on our hearts these steps to take. Give us the power to take them and to become the men and women that you made us to be that would bring you glory and honor. We ask for your help in this. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.